Welcome to Extension Out Loud, Season 2, Episode 5. This is the fifth episode in our Harvest Highlights series. And today we're going to be talking with... We're talking to Kitty O'Neill. She's team leader and field crop specialist and soil specialist um, with North Country Regional Ag Team. And Mike Hunter joined us for the conversation. He's a field crop specialist with the North Country Regional Ag Team. That's a mouthful. This is our final episode in the Harvest Highlight series. And we'll be coming back to you in 2019 with some new episodes. Absolutely. Okay. Anything else we need to say? <laughs> As we wrap up our second season of Extension Out Loud, we've put together a short survey to get some input from you. It just takes a few minutes to fill out, and we'd really appreciate your insights. So you can find that link in the program description on SoundCloud? Yes, it'll be in the program description, as well as the description of Extension Out Loud on SoundCloud. So let us know what you think so far, and it'll help guide us as we move forward in this process. I am Kitty O'Neill, field crops and soil specialist in northern New York with the North Country Regional Ag Team. We serve six counties from Jefferson and Lewis around St. Lawrence, Franklin, Clinton, and Essex. I'm Mike Hunter, Regional Field Crop Specialist in the North Country Regional Ag Team. Mike and I split the duties up there. Cool. Well, thanks. And welcome to the podcast, both of you. What was the harvest like in the North Country for field crops? The spring was very late, and then it dried out quickly. So that first harvest of hay was really good, and then it got so dry that the rest of the season was pretty pitiful, and yields were low for hay in the middle of the summer, lower than usual. Go ahead with yeah. corn. And- so going on to the row crop side of it, corn and soybeans, uh, the corn crop, you know, as Kitty mentioned, started out a little tough in the springtime. We had a very short planting window. I mean, it was cold and snowy right up through actually the end of April. We thought we were going to have a lot longer delay of beginning of our corn and soybean planting season. And at about May 8th in the North Country is when growers started getting corn and soybeans uh, planted. Then we experienced uh, quite a dry spell right through the middle middle to third week in July. And that put a lot of stress on our early planted um, crops. And then rainfalls came uh, that were needed in the end of July, August, and into September. Really uh, turned things around. And I think our bright spot right now has been the soybean crop. The North Country has been excellent. Yields are very strong. Mm -hmm. Uh, Growers are real happy with the soybean crop that they have this year. As opposed to 17, 2017, the soybean crop looked good. A lot of growers were pretty optimistic, but didn't show up in the combine and the yield monitors that they'd hoped in 17. But 18, strong yields for soybeans. Unfortunately, right now, we've had some pretty wet conditions in October, beginning in November here, and it's been a difficult time harvesting the soybeans. So we have a lot of good yields, but there's still a lot of soybeans out there that still have the good yield potential. But there's quite a few growers with acres still out there trying to get them harvested and Every day that goes on in the location we're at, as soon as the snow comes, if it comes and stays, then we're really in tough shape and we're going to lose some of that crop. So they're doing doing the best they can to get them harvested now. And then the longer they sit in the field, we're going to have more risk of, of yield loss and not being able to get those combined. And then on the corn side of it, the corn yields were strong on both silage and grain side. So I'll add, though, too, that there are areas of Franklin and Clinton County that never did quite get those rains that relieved parts of the North Country. And corn yields in... A lot of Clinton, a little bit of Franklin, were not very good at all for silage or grain. 
A lot of the North Country had just enough rain at the right times to provide some relief, but if you weren't lucky enough to be under that cloud, those drought conditions persisted through the fall. Mm. Is that typical for the North Country where you'll have patches like that? This year it was very spotty, the precipitation. On the western side of the North Country, we ended up okay. But a lot of times the whole area suffers or the whole area is fine. This year there seemed to be a bipolar result in a way that I saw some really terrible corn in Clinton County because they just never got any relief um, as the summer wore on. Just to put it in context, distance-wise, what are we talking about? It's a long distance across, I mean, you know. Yeah, it's 150 miles across, probably. Yeah, we've got a, yeah, we have a long... From Watertown to Plattsburgh, it's, it's probably 150 or 70 it's miles. It's about a three-hour plus yeah. drive. Wow. You go from one side to the other, yeah. and that's just from Watertown, but you can go farther south. Yeah, so our, that's our right. distance, we have the largest regional geographic territory of, yeah. the, of oh. the teams, and so we cover a hmm. wide area, but you also have... When you go from west to east, you know, you have to travel across the the Adirondack Park and so we, we lose a lot of farms there so we have some areas mm-hmm. that are just encompassed by the Adirondack Park that takes a lot of that out of our area so it's kind of yeah. segmented as, as Kitty said. Yeah we kind of deal with like a crescent-shaped area mm-hmm. yeah. around the hills. So we've talked about hay, corn, and soybeans. Are those the main crops that you're working with? Yeah we have some small grains. I mean the small grains that we have some winter wheat but we're not known as a really strong winter wheat producing area. That's western New York is where the winter wheat, kind of the bread belt of New York State is. But mm. uh, our winter wheat acres were down just mainly because 2017, the fall of 2017, it was difficult to get. We had a late year in 2017, late harvest year. So by the time the crops came off, it was a late harvest. Then we had some conditions that didn't allow for the planting of the winter wheat in fall of 2017. Mm-hmm. So that's one reason why our winter wheat acres are down. So, mm. you know. So the big three are hay, corn, and soybeans. Mm-hmm. What percentage is hay, corn, and soybeans? Is it? Hay is the big winner. I mean, that's yeah, there's a lot of. Most. We do. We're really good at growing grass and alfalfa up there. Uh-huh. And so part of it's harvested as hay, part of it is grazed, and then corn probably comes in second, and soybeans is probably third. Towards Mike in Jefferson Lewis part of the region, there's more soybeans mm-hmm. than in the other four counties. Mike has a lot more wheat and soybeans in his area, then I tend to go in the eastern part of the region and there's almost no small grains and a lot less soybeans. Is that climate, soil type? Yeah, it's overwintering ability. There's less probability that a small grain would overwinter well, which makes it less desirable because spring grains are often not economically as desirable. So there's fewer of them. And soybeans, at one point, I think, were never common in the North Country. Mm. But over time, more and more growers kind of figure out mm. uh, the, how to grow them and where to find a market for them. And so it's always expanding a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we're positioned in the western part of our region. We're positioned pretty closely to a lot of good soybean markets with Port of Oswego. We have a rail car that goes out of the Watertown area. They load rail cars right in Watertown for soybeans. So that's given them an opportunity. And again, we have another thing that benefits some of the growers on the western side of our region is you have Interstate 81, and that's a big thing. You can get on 
Interstate 81 and get to some of those outlets pretty quickly. So we're close to the market. The other thing too that you mentioned about the climate and the environment and stuff, we do have a lot of different microclimates as Kitty mentioned across the the whole region. One big influencing thing is that body of water to our west to Lake Ontario. I mean, that's a really big buffers a lot of our weather patterns, Uh, you know, especially Jefferson, Lewis County, more than say the influences of St. Lawrence County. And um, Lake Champlain has the same effect on Clinton and Essex, maybe a little less, Mm -hmm. but but the same idea Mm -hmm. over there. Besides the weather being a little bit spotty in patches, were there other challenges this year for growers? Did they face any pest outbreaks? Are there problematic things <coughs> starting to occur? I mean, right from, the, right from the start, we had some challenges with pests. I mean, the one pest that I can think of was on the weed control side of it. A lot of our growers on the corn acres, a lot of corn acres get a lot of pre-emergent herbicides. The corn went in in a short period of time in May, very dry weather, the time of herbicide application for these pre-emergent herbicides. We had a lot of failures because we didn't have the water to activate the herbicide. And so we had a lot of resprays, a lot of weed escapes from some of the passes of herbicides. And so that was a challenge. A lot of corn did get resprayed to help you know, achieve the better weed control. And again, that was just a function of weather pattern that, that did that. So, I mean, it started out with the weeds were tough. And then on the forages side, it was a good year that we didn't have much leafhopper and alfalfa. But in the North Country, we are a hot spot for Western bean cutworm, which sounds like it would be a bean pest, but it's a corn pest for us. And we have bigger populations of that particular pest bothering our corn in Northern New York than anywhere else in the rest of the state. for some reason. And the populations get a little bigger every year. The nice thing is there's a trapping network set up all across the state. New York State IPM manages a network of, what, 125 traps or roughly something like that across the whole state. It kind of helps us to keep an eye on the size of the population each year, when it arrives, when to start scouting for this pest in cornfields. We expanded the network a little bit in northern New York this year into Clinton and Essex counties, which typically, historically, have had less of a problem with it than the rest of the North Country to the west. However, the minute we put more traps out there, we found that, in fact, it's just as big a problem there as anywhere else, and we had some trap counts that were among the top five in the state. And Mike has done some work with some field trials looking at actual damage as a result of western bean cutworm populations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the western bean cutworm, as Kitty mentioned, it's a growing pest for us. First found in New York State in 2009, the IPM trapping network started really in 2010. So we've been monitoring the, the presence and the movement of this pest since 2010 actively here in the state. We have some areas of the of North Country that have significant feeding injury on the years. The moth lays their eggs on the, on the corn plant. The larva, uh, what attacks the corn plant, um, mm-hmm. feeds on the kernels of the corn. And uh, so we have a lot of feeding damage on the ears. Um, we've done a fair amount of research on looking at a couple of things, looking at control methods for the Western bean cutworm. One thing is we're looking at the efficacy of some of the BT traits and which ones are working and which ones aren't working for the control of Western bean cutworm. And then this year we had an insecticide timing trial looking at the insecticide timings early and on time in a late application to see how effective our control would be based on the timing of it. So we are doing that work as well. It's a tough pest because it doesn't show up until the corn's already six or eight feet tall. So you have to be able to to get in there over corn that's that big if you're going to try to spray something. and, Mm -hmm. And then there's a very small window between when those eggs are laid and when the larvae hide inside the ear. That's the only window which lasts maybe a week or 10 days when your spray would touch them anyway. 
So it's a big topic for us to try to help growers navigate around. Mm -hmm. And those BT traits are a very reliable method for controlling it. And the number two practice is pretty far down the list to number two (laughs) for the second best thing, Mm -hmm. probably. Yeah, Yeah, it is. It's a tough one. And so the other thing we're trying to help growers determine or figure out is, are we getting economic injury? That's the big thing. We talk about yeah, it's out there. We have a lot of damage in fields. Does damage, is that equated to yield losses, quality losses? That's where we're trying to measure that as well. So we're doing a lot of work with that to determine that. And on top of it, a lot of it's going to come back on the grain more to quality. So we're looking at quality sampling for fungal diseases and pathogens is a secondary thing that comes in where the feeding occurs. And then we're looking at potential link to the mycotoxins with those. And to date, we haven't found any clear path that heavy western mean cutworm feeding is equating to any mycotoxin infections of our corn crop, which is a good thing for mm-hmm. growers, but kind of a new past. We're still monitoring it really closely to see really what's going to be the final impact for growers and how we're going to try to manage it down the road. This episode of Extension Out Loud was produced and edited by Paul Treadwell with help and advice from Katie Belden and R.J. Anderson. 